I love that last question. What kind of a legacy are you going to leave? That's kind of what we've been talking about, and we're going to kind of continue on with that today. Last week, we talked a lot about how your children are your greatest legacy. Uh, th- we're going to talk a little bit now about kind of how to, how to talk to them. Uh, I want us to start by kind of reading what is our, our key verse as a church over here on our wall. Let's read this together. We will tell the next generation, Psalm 78, 4. Um, I, I love our message, and I love that our church is, is intergenerational and multi-generational. Our church is coming coming up on 110 years old. And the only way a church gets to be 110 is if you keep telling the next generation, amen? We are kind of, by definition, uh, an intergenerational church. It's it's in our core value and our our DNA and what we're uh, about. Uh, but, But here's our problem. Our message is just one amongst many messages. In fact, we live in a world that is filled with all kinds of messages and things coming at you and, and, and robocalls. How many of you get robocalls? Doesn't that just bless your heart, you know, every time you get those, you know? And, and if you're a pastor, you got to answer it because you don't know. It could be somebody, you know? And so it's, we just, there's all kinds of things uh, that happen. In fact, how many of you have cable? You got cable TV? If you got cable TV, you probably have over 100 channels how many of you have actually watched all 100 channels? Anybody actually? No. We, you know, it's just that's the way it is. Here's, here's the truth. Um, oops, turn this on. One way or another you turn this on. There we go. Oop. <laughs> just get me to the we are drowning in information. How about that? <laughs> There we go. Uh, we are drowning in information. That, that's where we, at, we exist today in a world where it's just so much stuff coming uh, in, in our lives. You ever feel like this? You know, I get so many emails, so many things that, that, that come at me. Uh, in fact, anyone have a guess as to how many videos there are on YouTube? Over a billion in fact, the last I looked, it was 1,300,000,000 videos on YouTube. We are flooded in all that. Anybody guess how many products are on Amazon? 600 million products. No wonder I couldn't make up my mind. You know, that's a lot of stuff that's up there. And in fact, nowadays they're rolling out this new thing called 5G network, which is like really, really super fast internet. So that they can flood you with all of that fast stuff faster. Yay. You know? We just live in a world that's just flooded. So let me read this. In 1982, futurist and inventor Buckminster Fuller estimated how long it took for all the accumulated knowledge to be trans- tra- transmitted knowledge um, up until the time of 1 CE, which was when Jesus was born, to double in size. So how long would that take? He estimated, the estimate was about 1,500 years followed by another doubling in only 250 years. So by the time of Jesus in about 1500, the amount of information in the world doubled. And then it doubled again in the next 250 years, okay? By 1900, only 150 years later, the amount of knowledge in Fuller's estimate had doubled again. So it's 1500, 250, 150. Clearly on an exponential trajectory, the process of doubling the accumulated knowledge in the world was estimated to be between one and two years at the beginning of the 21st century. Yeah, that's kind of what I said. Now, 17 years later, so this is 2017, not 2019, the doubling of knowledge is every 12 hours. 
Isn't that amazing? That just blows my mind. We are drowning in information. It's just, it, it, it's everywhere. Our, our, our choices are ex, expounding exponentially. And, and, and the really strange thing is that then all of that knowledge, all of that newness, everything that we have, levels of life satisfaction are actually going down. Suicide is climbing Mass murder has become common. The divorce rate is stabilized, but only because people don't get married anymore. So when they break up, it doesn't get recorded as a divorce. In fact, despite all of our knowledge and everything we have learned, today people struggle more than ever with making and maintaining deep connections with God and each other. That, that's disturbing to me. Because I'm a baby boomer, and, and I grew up with the idea that if we could have more and better information, life would be better. If we could just know more, if we could just understand more, if we could just get the right answer, we could fix everything. And it hasn't worked out like that. In fact, just the opposite. The more we throw information and data at, at problems, the more complex they get and the less happy and more unsatisfied people get. And now... Us baby boomers are trying to communicate to the next generation about God in the midst of this cacophony of sound that is so loud they can't pick out what the message of Jesus Christ is. In fact, the millennial generation has been described as a post-data generation. That means they are not impressed with more information. And they, they, they don't even like to have TVs. A lot of them have, have turned off their, their, they don't have TVs at all. Neither one of my kids actually have cable or any kind of TV. Well, my son has, so my son-in-law has, has a, an old TV with kind of a, a little antenna on it to pick up because he's a Vikings fan, okay? I, I'm sorry. He's a really good guy other than that, but he's a Vikings fan, and so he's trying to get the game. But, but they, they don't. They just don't have anything like that. And in fact, the, the millennials are actually shutting down their Facebook accounts because they just, more and more and more is just crazy. How many have a Facebook account? Yeah, look at that. I mean, how many of you have like an Instagram? There's our, our younger generation right there and parents of younger generation because you're ticking up on them. How many of you have a Twitter? Anybody have a Twitter account? Ooh, Snapchat. Anybody have Snapchat? Yeah, we just barely got that because you can actually do a live thing on that. Didn't know that. I'm feeling really old these days, you know. We just have a gazillion sorts of things that, that come at us in so many ways. And, and, and as a boomer, I just want to take it all in. And yet the millennials are, are pushing it all, all away. They reject the idea that more information makes for a better life. They would say better makes for a, a better life. So, so how do you tell a post-data generation about Jesus? Because honestly, our approach has always been to give them more, give them better information, figure it all out, get, get the right answer. And honestly, they don't care about a lot of that stuff. You know, the younger generation, for the most part, does not care if God created the earth in six days or six billion years. Don't care. Don't care how many angels or people were at the resurrection. Doesn't matter to them. Don't care if Noah's flood was uh, of his whole world or our whole world. Doesn't, doesn't matter to them. In fact, that's kind of the things that us older folks struggle with. I hate that I call myself older folks, but. So let me make a little critique of my generation, and I've told you I'm a boomer. I, I think in many ways we've been so busy defending the Bible, we have missed the point of the Bible. We've been so busy defending the internal structure and the pieces and the parts of it that we've missed the actual point of the Bible. See, the point of the Bible was never to explain everything to us. That's not possible. God is an infinite being and we are finite beings. We are never going to understand God in his entirety. 
The point of the Bible wasn't to give us more information. The point of the Bible was to bring us into transformational relationship with the living God. That's what it's all about. And so if we win the war for the details and the facts and the information, but we lose a generation to relationship with God, we have lost. We have lost. That is the truth of the matter. It isn't about being right. It's about being in loving, transformational relationship with God. And so for us to just try and give more and more information is going to fail. We're surrounded by very interesting and lots of information. But there is a way to do it. And as it turns out, God has got a specific idea about how we are supposed to do it. How to get the the answers into the next generation. Um, And so... The question the next generation cares about is what really matters. When you live in a flood, that's what you have to do. You have to sort it down, get down to what's important. And what really matters is what they talk about. And so God gives some answers about what really matters. In fact, that's God's strength. That's the strength of the church. That's the strength of Christianity is we know what really matters. About half of you know what matters. Okay, let's start again. You, we know what really matters. Amen. Yes. And so here's what really matters. Love God with your whole being. Love the people around you like family. That, that, that whole thing boils down to that. And everything has to, to grow out of that. In fact, Jesus said all your religion's got to be based on this. Love God with your whole being. And love the people around you like family. It, it's the, the meaning, the significance. It, it's what will give a, a true life of satisfaction and a life that, that, that matters. This is the heart of the issue. This is what it is all about. Love God. Love people. Amen? In fact, I'm going to start a series. I, I hope you're thinking about who you're going to invite to Easter because Easter's coming up really, really fast and it's a great time to invite unbelievers. And at Easter, the sermon series I'm going to start is called Very Good, Created for the Good Life. And I know that when I use the word good life, it sounds a lot like materialism because we live in a culture that says the good life is more. The good life is having more stuff. And there's nothing wrong with having stuff. And if you think there is, the reality is we are very, very, very rich compared to the rest of the world. We all got stuff, okay? that's That's the reality. But that's not the good life, and you know that. The good life is the life that God describes. In fact, this whole thing has been uh, a part of just my own personal journey. I was at a, at a conference and a theologian challenged me that we always start the, the story of God wrong. We always start with the fall of man, right? And we make fun of Adam and Eve and, and we say, and the world has fallen and Jesus is the answer. But that's not where God started the story. God did not start the story in Genesis 2. He started in Genesis 1. And in Genesis 1, he goes down through all of the creation and he finally gets to the end and it's really powerful in Hebrew. And God looked at all that he created and he said, it is very good. And that's the life God wants for us. The very good life, the life of satisfaction and relationship and and caring for one another and loving for one another. It's meant to be a taste of what's going to come in heaven. You all want to go to heaven, right? Oh, okay. It's just, just, I just wanted to make sure. In fact, I, I you know, I, I know this may come as a surprise to you, but before people had the internet, they actually lived good and satisfying lives, you know? 
you can do it without that little screen. It really can be done. So let's look at God's word this morning. Uh, Psalm 78, 1 through 7, our verse is in there. We're going to kind of do a little bit larger uh, piece of that. I want to kind of walk through this because there's some really great instructions about talking to the next generation. Not only does God tell us to do it, but he tells us a lot about how to do it. So um, let's just kind of walk through. Uh, my people, do you know you are God's people? You, you got people. Don't ever say, I don't got people, because you got people. And the people you got is God and us, you know. Sorry about us. But God's good, you know. So you got, you got people, okay. Hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. And this is a typical parent when you say, pay attention. I'm about to tell you something important, okay. I will open my mouth with a parable. And I know Christians tend to think of parables as something that are hard to understand. But actually, when they use the word, it's a story of, that has a moral to it. A parable was, here's, here's a story about, about how to, to live the way God wants you to live. I will utter things things from of old, things we have heard and known. So the picture there is the, the, the faith has been passed down from generation to generation to generation. It has now been passed down to you from, from your grandparents and those who are before you if you've been a multi-generational follower of Jesus. And so you've received it, things that we have heard from old, things our ancestors have told us. So we've talked over and over again that God always works multi-generationally. What he begins in one generation, he finishes in, in another. And for the Hebrew people, that was really a big important thing that you understood. You are just one part of the path. You're one leg of the relay race of what God is doing uh, in our lives. And then verse uh, 4 uh, picks up with kind of where we have the verse that we've talked about. It says, we will not hide them from our children. We will tell the next generation. Let's read that whole thing together. We will not hide them from our children. We will tell the next generation. And the interesting part, in Hebrew, the word for hide uh, isn't, isn't like playing hide and seek. It's actually the idea of being cut off from or being denied something. It's the idea that if you have an inheritance coming to you and, and they don't give it to you, that you've been denied something that belonged to you from the previous generation that you were supposed to get and, and you don't. And so this is a big deal for God when he says tell the next generation. He's saying, if you don't do this, you, you are cheating your children. You are cheating the, the next generation. And I don't mean just your children, but I mean even the young generation that's moving in all around us. We are a part of, of don't hide it from them. Don't cut them off from that. But the word I really want to get at is this word uh, tell. Uh, and in Hebrew, it's sofer. Say, sofer. Yeah, and you're supposed to roll that R, but I can't roll that R. My tongue is not that coordinated. Uh, and so, sofer. Uh, and it's really an interesting word. And in, in English, we, we translate it as tell usually. But tell isn't really accurate because that's really broad in English. So, like, if you go to your accountant, they're going to tell you what your financial situation is like, right? And they're going to give you, like, spreadsheets and numbers and all kinds of stuff like that. And that's typically when my eyes glaze over and I hope my wife is paying attention, you know. Uh, or if you go, you know, you're going to get rules for game. They'll give you bullet points and that sort of thing. But that's actually not really what this is. This word means recount or rehearse or tell the story. It's, it's a narrative uh, about the fact that we should tell the stories of God and our stories to our children and to the next generation. And so the way God wants this to work is that we, we tell, the, tell them the stories of how God has worked. And in the ancient world, storytellers were a really big deal. That's how you passed information from generation to generation was you told stories because they couldn't read and write. 
And so if you couldn't write it down, then what you had to do was you had to remember the things that they were telling you. And the easiest way to remember it was to remember it in a story of some sort. And they were often morality tales of, of what had happened. And so basically, especially for Old Testament people, they would think about the Bible like this. The Bible is basically a collection of stories about people who encounter God and then share the story. They, they have an encounter with the living God. They're like, Wow, you're not going to believe what just happened to me. And they, and they share it with the next generation. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it was for Moses after he'd encountered the burning bush and, and he came home to his wife that day and she's like, how's your day? He says, you're not going to believe what happened to me. And he's like, I saw a bush burning. He's like, yeah, Moses, that happens out here, you know. But no, 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 it, 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 didn't, it wasn't going out. Well, okay, that's kind of weird. And then he gets to the punchline and it talked to me. And she's thinking, you're off your meds again, aren't you, you know? <laughs> I mean, I mean, there was this, this huge thing that happened. And not only that, I got to go back to Egypt where they want to kill me and deliver the children of Israel. Oh, no, you know. So they, they had these encounters, and, and, and they told people about it. Paul, the apostle Paul, the great persecutor of the church, becomes a great theologian. He's riding his donkey along, minding his own business, and God knocks him to the ground. That's a story to tell people. There's these powerful stories that we, that, that we have that are so uh, important. And so there's an oral tradition, say oral tradition. Yeah, in which the stories were passed from generation to generation to generation, the great stories of God. So he's told us to tell the story. Now he's going to give us some directions about what that story should look like. Some uh, continuing in for the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. This, this is what you're supposed to do. And the praiseworthy deeds is actually a word uh, that means the, the songs of mighty men. And so in the ancient world, uh, in order to help people remember, they would set stories to song. How many of you find it easier to remember words if you put it, set it to music in some sorts of way? Yeah, I learned all kinds of Bible verses growing up, uh, that, that kind of a and that's literally what it's referring to here. And so they're talking about this idea of singing the praise of God and singing the story of God. And then there's two parts, his power and the wonders he has done. And the power is an interesting word because it means our power. It means you have been given power to accomplish things. At the end of this, our benediction, I will talk about the power that is within you, okay? So you have a power in yourself. And then the second one, the wonders, is an unfortunate translation. It literally means the supernatural working of God. And so there's this interesting picture in which we are to sing the praises of God of the things where he gave us strength and those times where he said, you don't got this, I'm just going to do it for you. Thanks be to God. Amen? Amen? How many of you have been involved or seen or witnessed in some way a miracle in some sort of way? I have. It's a cool thing and that's exactly what they're talking uh, about this. So what is our story about? God and what he has done. God is the star of the story. He's the one that, that has accomplished all things. I don't know if you know this. We serve an awesome God. Oh, good. We're on board with that. 930 service was like quiet. I'm like, uh-oh, we're in trouble. So, you know, we serve an awesome God who's done wonderful things, and he calls us to tell the story. You don't have to explain it all. You don't have to have all the answers. Yeah, I don't know about you, but for me, I'm kind of an answer guy, and so that just lifts a heavy weight off me. You don't have to just tell the story of, of what happened, okay? But, but that's not all. It's not just that we talk about God and what he has done. It goes on to say, he decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel. Remember, the law was a good thing. It taught you how to have life, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So it's, again, this image of being passed down. And in fact, the word for children literally means your children and your grandchildren. There's another word that would mean just your children, but it literally carries the idea of generations uh, in this, okay? Um, so 
the story isn't just about God. It's about people who encounter and interact with God. God always includes us in his work. And he has worked in your life and he has worked in my life. You and I are a part of the story. We're a part of what he wants to do. And so the story you tell is certainly the story of God. But in some ways the most powerful story is the story of how God has worked in your life and in your family. The things he has done. In fact, I would call it this. Our story inside of God's story. God's story is bigger than mine. It goes on for thousands and thousands of years and, and the whole thing. But I have one little piece of it of how he's working in my family and what he's done and how he's redeemed and all the things that have happened in, in my life. And you have a story like that. And the stories we are to tell are the stories of our interactions with God and the difference it made in our families. I've told you before the story of my own father who was way far from God before he became a follower of Jesus. That's important to me. You know, and for you, you guys, oh, that's a nice story, but you haven't experienced that personally, you know. But you have stories in your family how God has redeemed. So let me tell you this. This is a good news for some of you who have stories that are very, very painful. God wants to redeem your story for good. Tell them the story of what happened. Man, I was at the bottom. My dad used to tell the story about how he nearly punched the guy when he was homeless. And it was just trying to get him into a shelter. What a nice guy he was, huh? You know? But it's a story of, of, of redemption, our story inside of God's story. So, and then it goes on, verse 6. Uh, so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. Get that. Are you preparing to leave a legacy for the children you will never see? Okay? And they, in turn, would tell their children. So are you preparing to leave a legacy for your children, for your grandchildren, for the children yet to be born, and for the ones after that? You feel a little heavy weight about legacy right now, you know? That's what it's talking about in that, okay? Yet to be born. And they, in turn, will tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. And actually, the word for forget there isn't, isn't what happens to me when I walk into a room and go, why am I here again? You know, that I, I, I get, am I the only one that happens to? Anybody else want to confess right there? You know, okay. The, the, the word here for forget is actually a word for ignore or cease to care about. It's the idea that, that, that they know what the church's story is, but they just don't care. Boy, does that describe our generation. So I sometimes wonder if, if what's happened is we didn't get that done and now we're faced with a generation that is forgotten or doesn't care about God's story and what's going on. And so here's what this kind of comes down to. God's plan for communicating his love to the next generation is story, not facts. And there's nothing wrong with facts, folks. I gave over a great deal of my life to learning the facts. You know that. Four years of college and then, then graduate school for an MDiv. And I've got more facts pumped into my head from professors than I know what to do with. But at the end of the day, it's not the facts. Facts don't matter unless you're a boomer. Boomers, we're really a little over-concerned with facts. But, but for most of the rest of them, that's not what's important to them. In fact, story is what is really important. In fact, you guys have experienced this. I don't think you really know somebody till you know their story. And this has been, happened so much because I get the opportunity to know most people's stories than, than you guys do. Where I think something about that person and then I hear their story and I go, I had it all wrong. I just had it completely, 180 degrees wrong. As soon as I heard their story, I'm like, yep, that's just. There's something about story that, that, that really matters in, in our lives. And so here, here's, here's what I know about facts and story and the difference. Facts describe story gives meaning. 
We, we can do descriptions of God. Remember the omni words? God's omniscient. It means he's all-knowing. He's all-present. He's all-powerful. We have all those. Those are all descriptions about God. We can talk about the attributes of God. You can take whole courses in seminary about all of this. But very few people become followers of Jesus because God is all-knowing. In fact, that's a little scary. But on Christmas Eve, when we stand here and we tell you the story of a God who loves you so much that he would give up the glory of heaven and take on the form of a peasant baby, knowing that he would one day die and take the penalty of our sins, that's a story worth listening to. And we light the candle and we pass it and say, Jesus is the light of the world. And this whole place lights up from the darkness of one candle. That's, that's a story. That, that, that's powerful. Stories tell us who we are and, and what we're about. I, I know who I am because of the stories that have been passed down from my, my parents to me. The, the stories about, of my dad. The stories of my grandparents that, that make such a difference in our lives. Story makes you who you are. Facts describe you know, I, I can describe you. I can look at you and describe you and say you're this tall and you're wearing these clothes and you got a beard or you don't have a beard or you have glasses or you don't have glasses. But I don't know you. I just know about you. When I know your story, I know you. And that's why God said, tell the story. In fact, I believe that your personal God stories are your single most important legacy. Because your children are your legacy and it's the story that helps you tell that to your children. You tell stories of God's faithfulness in your life. I love that, God, that we sang, great is thy faithfulness. Isn't that a great song? That just, it's a wonderful thing that God has been grateful, um, that we are grateful to God for his faithfulness in all of this. I'll tell you a story about my grandmother. I, uh, my grandmother, uh, Laughlin, uh, my dad's mom, had a big impact on my life, even late in life. She, when I was a child, she held me and, and, and prophesied that I would be a pastor. Uh, and they didn't tell me about that until after I said I had a call to ministry. And, but she lived a hard life. She, she buried three husbands and two children. And at the end of her life, she was still like, God is faithful. Craig, follow God. It's worth it. I'm like, really? You know, given your life, that does not sound... But there's something powerful about her. My, my dad has a story about her that I especially love. My dad talks about, you know, you've heard, uh, in his teenage years, he went far from God, like far, 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 biker enforcer, bad dude, did, should have gone to jail, should have gone to prison for all that he did. And, and when he was far, far from God and doing all the things he shouldn't do, his, his mom used to tell him every day, every day, oh, and I get down on my knees and I pray for you beside my bed. And he said, God made his life so miserable. <laughs> so late in life, he said, never let a little old lady pray for you because it's like you're just toast. That's an important story in my world. That's an and I, I told my kids, if you ever stray from God, your mom and I are going to be down on our knees praying for you. And you know grandma's story, right? You know, they're like, okay, okay, okay. You know, it, there's something powerful about your story. And I want you to know that God redeems your bad stories. If you've got stories that you're not proud of and you're embarrassed and you're ashamed, good news, God will take them and make them good. Amen. Yeah, more of you should have said amen because I know some of your stories, okay? <laughs> yeah. here's, a, here's what I know about this. You can argue with facts. You can't argue with stories. I couldn't argue that something happened in my dad's life. I couldn't argue that some of the men in my church, I could see Jesus in them. I, I could argue with the facts about whether God was real or not, but I could not argue with what happened in their life. 
I sometimes I think about it like this. Facts are like artillery. We're going to pound them into the ground with the truth about Jesus in some way, shape, or form. We're going to make them listen to us. We're going to give them it all. But story is like a secret missile that slips behind the defenses and strikes at the heart. Because a story speaks to what God has done. You cannot deny it when you hear the story of God in people you love and care about. And unless you think this isn't important, one day your whole life will be reduced to a story other people tell. Your whole life will be reduced to a story. It's a story that maybe your children tell or your friends tell. I've been to more funerals than most of you probably. And um, it's always a storytelling time. When a saint passes, it's great because we've got to cut it off because they'd like talk all day long because there's all these stories. And then their children tell the stories and I tell you the stories of my family and, and it, it's such a powerful thing. It, it, you know, we, we've been doing this lately. Um, my mom lived with us uh, about four years before uh, she went on to, on to heaven. And, um, and, and I've, I've just gotten, I've been here 11 years and I've just gotten so I feel secure enough. I've been sharing with you that she was a hillbilly, right? You all remember that, you know? And, and I love my mom, but she had some hillbilly sands. And we, Jody and I were just talking about this. And one of them that we still laugh about, we still tell the story, is uh, super slob gobshus. Any of you know what super slob gobshus means? As a hillbilly word, yeah, my, my wife. <laughs> It, it, it speaks about a dessert that's really, really good. Super slob gobshus. There's your hillbilly lesson for today. You got Hebrew and Greek and hillbilly. So we're covering it. We're covering it all today. Yeah. One day, your whole story will be a story other people tell. So let's think about a little bit of application as we get close here. Real world application. Number one, live your life in such a way that your children and grandchildren will be proud to tell your story. Some of you who are younger, I really want to say this to you. Live your life in such a way that your children will be proud to tell you sto your story. Don't do something that will make you a liar for the rest of your life because you can't share it. Amen. Okay? Don't do something they would be ashamed of. Your life is more than just you. They have to inherit your stories. Live your life in such a way that your children will be proud to tell your stories. In fact, sometimes I say this, don't make the preacher lie at your funeral, okay? It's not good when preachers lie, okay? And then tell your story early and often. Tell your kids the story of how God has worked in your life and how God has worked in your family's life, how he was faithful in that really difficult time, how he got you through this other thing over here, how, how he blessed it in your life because it's so important. In fact, I want to encourage you to drill this into them over and over and over again. Tell the stories over and over. In fact, tell the stories till they mock you with them because then you won because they remember. Amen. I'll let them mock me if they'll remember the stories of how God has worked in your life. And then tell your parents and grandparents stories. Uh, kids find this fascinating. Those of you at grandparents' age, there's so much you can share that's so powerful with them. And not only that, it connects them to legacy that, that God has been working in their family long before they came along and that God will continue to work in their family long after they are gone. Very few things will form your children more than family stories of God's working. It lets them know that they are not on their own. Their family has never been on their own. God's got his eye on you just like he had on your dad and your granddad and the children that will come after that. I, I, I love to see these multi-generational sorts of things going on in our church. Um, 
A few weeks ago, we had uh, someone in here, an electrician in our church, who was running some wires because we want to get the TVs back into our nursery so they can see it. By the way, we have a nursery that's overflowing. We would love to have people get involved in volunteering in our, in our nursery as we support. The, part of telling the next generation is supporting the next generation. Amen? Okay. Um, anyway, he was in here, and he brought his wife and his daughter along, uh, and she wanted to help him. She had developed a real interest in, in things electrical, and, and so she had been working on projects and doing that, and, and through the day, she was helping him put, put in the, the Cat 6 that has to run back to, to where it needs to go, and at the end of the day, they had left, and he and I were kind of uh, talking there as he was finishing up some things, and he was talking about how she really has an interest in that, and someday, maybe she will be a, an electrician, too, and how cool that would be, have a father-daughter electrician, you know, and, and she's going to be ahead of him because he's, she's already learning all these things when she's little about how to do it. It'll all be second nature to him. And then, and then we got to reflecting on multi-generational church and, and, and he, he, he said to me, you know, well, what'll probably happen is 25 years from now, you guys will be doing something else in this church and I'll be retired and you'll be who knows where in all of that. And she'll come in to run some of the wire for whatever it is they want to do next. And she'll look at the wire I ran and go, dad, you did it wrong. That's intergenerational church, praise God, you know, that is connected to that. So help your children recognize their own God stories. Help them name God in the world when God is moving in their lives, when God does things. Help them see that because that is the beginning, that is the seed of the stories that they will tell to the next generation. And then finally, your family's God encounter stories create hope long after you are gone. I still get great hope from the stories of my dad and my mom and my grandparents because I know that God worked in their lives and so God is going to work in my life. That God watched out for them, that God is going to watch out for me. I, I love when scripture says, it says several different ways, but it often goes like this. As I was with your ancestors, so I will be with you and with your descendants. As I was with your ancestors, so I will be with you and your descendants. Let's say that together. As I was with your ancestors, so I will be with you and with your descendants. Bring your God stories to your children. If our musicians could come, we're going to pray in just a minute and worship the Lord in giving. But I, I just really want to impress upon you how important this are, especially those of you that have young children. Tell them the stories. Help them to know them. Help them to connect with them. That they might know God's story. This isn't just about a fun time telling stories. This is about a transmission of the faith to the next generation. And when you encounter those people around you, all of these young families, don't try and argue with them about the Bible. Tell them what God did in your life. That will change the world. Heavenly Father, thank you for your story that begins in Genesis, Father, with the good news that it is very good and you built us for the very good life. And Father, that, that gets wrapped up in Revelation when we read the end and we see that you win and one day we are going to all be together in heaven. In the meantime, Father, help us to tell the story to our children. Help us to tell the story to our neighbor, Father. Help us to resist the urge to get caught up in all the facts and all of that other stuff and just be witnesses. You told us to be witnesses. You didn't tell us to be judges or prosecuting attorneys. You told us be witnesses. You shall be my witnesses, Father. Make us witnesses to what you have done in us and what you've done in the world. And we will give you all the praise and glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen.